Hey, what's up? It's Gustavo Ariano. Instead of our usual today, we're channeling our inner holiday spirit and sharing stories from some of my awesome colleagues from across the newsroom. We started this show back in May, and because of the pandemic, we've been producing each episode from our basements, our childhood bedrooms, even our closets, if we can convince reporters to do so. And while it's been great to see the ingenuity of our team in putting a show together remotely, no, seriously, it's been incredible to see this. It's also been, well, lonely. I mean, our team at the Times hasn't had one get-together in person. And with Omicron now happening, who knows when that'll happen. So for our last new episode of 2021, we reached out to our colleagues in the virtual newsroom to ask them what's kept them grounded through all this. They submitted stories about losing loved ones to COVID-19 and finding new ways to bond with family, about reconnecting with bandmates after months of virtual performances, and the hilarious exploits of one seriously sassy pet rabbit. These stories made us at the times feel as if our colleagues were chit-chatting in the office with us. We felt good and cheery hearing them, and I hope they do the same for you. First up, we have Steve Padilla. If you've been missing live performances after the pandemic shut down theaters, dance halls, and music venues for much of the last two years, then Steve feels you. He's an editor for Column One. It's a longstanding front-page feature where the best of LA Times storytelling lives. Remember our episode about Rosario, a Central American migrant, or the one about the Santa Monica gambling boats? Steve edited those when they came out in print. He's got a great eye for stories, and that's not his only talent. Can you hear me singing here? I'm one of the tenors, and this is the Jouissance Early Music Ensemble. I like to say Jouissance performs 50s music, as in the 1550s. Well, sometimes the 1450s, also the 1350s, anything from the Middle Ages and Renaissance, really. For nearly 20 years, my Sunday nights have sounded like this. Even now, the music remains vibrant, whether body tavern tunes or ethereal religious works like this motet. They embody something the American composer Aaron Copland once said, to stop the flow of music would be like stopping time itself, incredible and inconceivable. Well, Aaron, that's exactly what happened. To avoid the loss of potentially tens of thousands of lives, we must enact an immediate stay-at-home order. So that is the action that I'm announcing today. Can't stress enough of practicing social distancing and really, you know, keeping yourself away from a large group of people. In fact, it turned out that since COVID-19 is an airborne disease, singing is one of the worst things you can do. So, like music groups all over, Jouissance stopped rehearsing and canceled performances. We did try to keep the music going, virtually. You've probably seen these things on the internet. They're like big Zoom meetings, but with melody and rhythm. Here's our first effort, a 16th century Ave Maria. blissful stuff. But the sad secret is that no one's really having a good time. Yes, we're singing, 
but we've all recorded our parts individually on our laptops or phones. Then a technician stitched everything together. I usually think of musicians as a community and a virtual choir just can't replicate that feeling of being surrounded by voices. I was resigned to more virtual choirs until, well, a miracle happened. The vaccines arrived and performing ensembles came up with protocols that would allow the show to go on. Our group performed before a live audience this fall. I wasn't able to sing that concert, but to my delight, in November, I rejoined the group to prepare a program we'll perform for Twelfth Night, the Epiphany, in January. I was a little nervous driving to the first rehearsal at a church in South Pasadena. Can I still sing a piece at sight? Would I remember basic musicianship, like watching the conductor or noting the key signature? Those concerns melted away as we began to warm up. Just makes you want to hear us, right? Well, singers warming up sometimes make the darndest sounds. One loopy exercise I like involves blowing air out while your mouth remains closed. This makes your lips flap like this. Then there's this one. Don't worry, I won't do more. But trust me, this stuff works. Once we'd warmed up, it was go time. After so, so long, we were singing together again. This was recorded on my phone, so it doesn't sound like much, but believe me, the music once more transported me back centuries, back to a time of intense faith. And it's worth noting, another time of plague. Our director, Nicole Baker, told me that when Jouissance first met to rehearse for the fall concert, many members found the experience fairly overwhelming and emotional. She told me not to be surprised if tears came to my eyes. Well, as it turned out, I didn't cry. There was no epiphany, no moment of wonder. And even though it certainly felt odd to sing mast and distance, it was as if we had picked up from a rehearsal just a week earlier. It was all so familiar, so comfortable. Most of all, it felt normal. And now that I think about it, perhaps that was the moment of wonder.
parents do the darndest things, am I right? Our utility desk reporter, Karen Garcia, can relate. She tells us about one of her family's favorite Thanksgiving memories. It's a story about how her mother broke one of the most sacred rules of Black Friday. Okay, so the incident. (laughs) The women in my family have been big into Black Friday shopping since before I was born. My mom, Sylviana Garcia, she would wake me up around 5.30. Just enough time to get you up and you can get dressed and get a hat on, something, you know, warmer. I was probably not that pleasant, grouchy, cold, tired. Maybe we'd take a snack with us in the car because we didn't know how long it was going to take, and then we were off. So my mom, my sister, and I, we'd hop in the car and we'd drive about a block to pick up my grandmother. And we'd all head out together and talk about the deals we wanted to pick up at the stores we were headed to. We'd check out Toys R Us, Target, Mervyn's, Robinson's May, and Macy's. You know, there was a lot of members of the family, and a lot of those Black Friday sales or doorbuster sales were a good deal. You know, our money could be uh, stretched out a little more, so that that initially was the object of that. And then, of course, as time went on, and we did it for several more years, and we realized it was just part of the tradition, part of the norm to do in our family. We went with the sole purpose of buying gifts for our family, our friends, our neighbors. When you did... Uh, purchase the gifts that you were looking for, well, then that just made it fulfilling. You're like, oh, now I really did get a gift for this person and that person, and it made you happy. My favorite Black Friday memory is the year, maybe like 15, 20 years ago, when we went to Toys R Us in Torrance. And when we go in into the parking area... I could see the line was so long that it wrapped around the building on the side of the building where in addition to Toys R Us, there was another store. I can't remember the name of the store. It went by that other store. It crossed a path that was a driving path that you could get to the back of those stores. And it continued to a cinder block wall that was there. So we get to the store and she tells us to go wait at the end of the line while she goes to, and I quote, investigate the front of the line. Then she committed the ultimate Black Friday crime. So I get to the front of the store to to find out why are those people there? What's going on? And at that moment, the store opens. And then everybody from the group rushes in. So then I was in the group. I rushed in myself. (laughs) When my mom gets inside, she buys the toys she was looking for, and then she comes out and she still finds us in line. We had barely moved, and here she was, already done shopping. I had never done that before. (laughs) And the story could have ended there. We could have just had a really good laugh about how my mom cut all those people who've been waiting for who knows how long. But that's not where the story ends. You see, there was evidence of her crime. I pick up the newspaper to look at it on my free time, and Lord and behold, I'm on the front cover. I'm one of the people barging into the store. Clearly, it was me. I couldn't believe it. I said, oh, my God. Oh, Mom. I mean, it was something that I shouldn't have done, but I I was there and I did it. We're never going to top that story. My family backed away from Black Friday shopping when big stores started kicking off their sales on Thanksgiving Day instead. 
It was a lot of fun to score great deals, but it's not worth cutting Thanksgiving dinner short. If we did want to go to the, that type of Black Friday, then, you know, we would have to hurry up and eat or, you know, rush through our Thanksgiving. So, yeah, over the years, it just became more intrusive, if anything else. It wasn't as fun as it was before. We still want to show our appreciation to our friends and families with gifts. So we start shopping a little earlier in the holiday season. When we're at the store, we'll help each other pick out sweaters or fun socks, something we know someone will appreciate. Whenever you find something for someone that means something to you, I feel that it's not so much the gift that you found, but that you always think of that person. That's the pick that makes it special. And when we find the perfect gift at the perfect price early, before Black Friday even rolls around, well, that's the true spirit of cutting the line. Wendy Lee is an entertainment business reporter. You've heard her explain the Rust film shooting investigation on our show. She's also married to one of our masters of disasters, Ron Lynn. Wendy and Ron are parents to a bunny named Jewel, and if you know, you know. But before Jewel, there was another rabbit, Vanilla Bean. Here's Wendy. The first rabbit that Ron and I adopted together was Vanilla Bean. We just moved in together, and Ron was afraid that he wouldn't be a good bunny dad. He had never had a pet before. But me? I was ready to be a bunny mommy. So we started the search at a rabbit rescue. The first two rabbits we saw were cute, but they were just too attached to each other. We weren't sure if they'd form a bond with us, so we kept looking. And then through another rabbit rescue group, one day we found Vanilla Bean. It was love at first sight. Ron said she had kind eyes. When the rabbit rescue's founder asked me if we wanted to keep her, Vanilla Bean put both her paws on my knee. She had decided. Before Vanilla Bean could come live with us, we had to pass a house inspection. The adoption people came in with clipboards and went through every room of our messy home to make sure we didn't have any snakes. Bunnies hate snakes. We had to make sure we had carpeting, a bunny house, a dog exercise pen, toys, and a litter box. Yeah, bunnies go in litter boxes. We passed the test, and we were finally given a poem by her foster family, calling her a funny bunny. I wasn't sure what that meant at first, but over time we realized that Vanilla Bean had a very good sense of humor. We would need to earn her respect. Her first night at home, she didn't approve of how late we worked. She thumped her foot to tell us to turn the lights off because it was her bedtime. I didn't know which veggies rabbits ate, so I was going off a list the rescue group gave us. Vanilla Bean wasted no time in letting me know that she did not like red bell peppers. She picked them out and piled them up all on the side of her empty food dish, one by one. She loved dandelion greens though.
Vanilla Bean also liked to play pranks. One time, she pulled the back of my elastic pajama pants and snapped it in half. I thought Ron did it, but he was in the other room. Then I made eye contact with Vanilla Bean nearby, and I knew it was her. She quickly hopped away. Another time, Ron and I saw this children's book that told the story of a kid with a rabbit sitting on their head. I joked to Ron, there was no way a rabbit could ever sit on someone's head. Vanilla Bean proved me wrong. One day, she hopped up on our bed and sat on top of my head. It felt like a warm, furry cap. There were some things that Vanilla Bean didn't like. She didn't like that we constantly traveled for work, and she hopped up on top of our clothes in the suitcase to protest. But she was always there for us. She would wait on the bed for us after a long day at work and even poofed up Ron's pillows with her nose. She was the queen of our household. We adopted Vanilla Bean when she was three, and as she aged, she developed more health problems. She had high blood pressure and kidney problems. We found a pharmacy that would give her banana-flavored blood pressure medicine that she didn't mind. But then, in 2018, I got a job at the LA Times. I was planning to meet with my new colleagues in Houston for an Asian American Journalists Association event. I was excited, but worried because of Vanilla Bean's condition. Ron was out of town too. Should I leave her at home? Can I travel? After consulting our vet, we decided to drop her off at a sitter. I still remember the look on her face. It was as if she was studying me, but when I look back on it, was she actually saying goodbye? Just hours after I got to Houston, the sitter called, saying Vanilla Bean wasn't doing well. She had to go to the emergency room. Each hour after that was a painful waiting game. Ron's sister and her kids went to visit Vanilla Bean to encourage her to hold on, but it wasn't looking good. Then someone from the vet's office called us to say they didn't think Vanilla Bean would make the night. I frantically started searching for flights to make it back home in time. There were none. So Ron and I asked if we could talk to Vanilla Bean over the phone to say goodbye. But the pet hospital said no. We picked up her ashes a few days later. Vanilla Bean Lynn, we sobbed into Vanilla Bean's favorite blanket. I feel guilty to this day that I wasn't there with her to say goodbye. When we got home to our apartment, it felt cold and quiet. I missed her little munching noises. Over time, we started going through Vanilla Bean's things. There was a carrot-shaped cardboard house that she didn't particularly like. Was there a place where I could donate it? I found a nearby humane society that would take it for rabbits who were looking to be adopted. I think the people there sensed I was sad about Vanilla Bean, so they suggested I visit the rabbit wing. When I did, I saw a rabbit that kind of reminded me of Vanilla Bean. She had white fur and ruby eyes, she jumped around and watched me carefully. 
Her name was Jewel. Next up, we have Hasmin Aguilera, our new head of audio. And you like the show now? Well, our jefa's got to level us up like Goku style. Hasmin lost her grandmother to COVID-19 last summer at the height of the pandemic. And in grieving for her Abi, she was able to reconnect with other family members. Here's Hasmin. This pandemic has taken so much from me. It robbed me of my 30th and 31st birthdays, my vacation, my friend's weddings, and it took my grandmother. My abuelita's name was Carmen Yolanda Larios, but she always went by Yolanda to most. But she was always Abby to me. She had red hair and a fiery personality. I never felt as close to my Abby as I wish I could have been. I grew up in Santa Cruz, and she was still back in Hermosillo, Mexico, about a thousand miles away and a two-day car trip, which my mother, sister, and I dutifully drove every Christmas. The last time I was in Mexico was March 2020, right as the pandemic hit. I was on a reporting trip on the border of Mexico and Guatemala when I had to be suddenly and terrifyingly evacuated before the borders closed. That trip, I had decided to not stop in Hermosillo because it was out of the way and there was always Christmas coming up. I'd see my Abby then. She died of COVID in August of 2020 and I could only say goodbye through a shared WhatsApp group text message hoping my uncle could share with her how much I loved her and that she would hear it through the clicks of the ventilator she was on. When she passed, my entire family shared our grief on that same WhatsApp thread, separated by borders and states and the pandemic. It was there that I first saw pictures of my Abby in her youth, my favorite picture of her at 16 years old. She stood arms on her hips, stance wide as if she had just belted a powerful ballad while my uncles played guitar behind her. I'd never seen these pictures or heard these stories before because they were buried in the memories of uncles and distant cousins I had never known. But she knew them. And my Abby always made such an impact on everyone she knew. And that impact drew me and the rest of my family closer in. Tios and tias and primos I had never really talked with before, now texting consistently on our shared group WhatsApp thread, sharing memes and pictures of our family. And it all started because of her. I now feel so much more connected to her than I'd ever felt before. I have these mementos and stories I wish I could have shared with her while she was here, but at least I have them in my heart now. And I can remember her as she was, my Abby but also the fiery, strong-willed teenager, feet apart, arms propped on her hips, proudly singing while her brothers played on cello songs on a guitar behind her. Madre querida, gracias por darme la vida, aún recuerdo tu sonrisa. Ay, madre querida, And 
And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Before we go, I want to give a big shout out to my colleagues for sharing their stories. They're always doing incredible things over at latimes.com. You should subscribe. That'd be a great Christmas present. And another shout out to ustedes, to y'all, the listeners, the real MVPs. Every time you listen to us, every time you share our episodes, tweet us out, you get us closer and closer to not being the Puccia Podcasts. We're off for the next two weeks, but we'll be posting some of our favorite episodes from the past year and also a couple of episodes that our senior producer, Denise Guerra, put together with her students at the USC Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism. Go Bruins! I hope you've all had a wonderful holiday season and continue to have a great holiday season. And we'll be back in the new year, 2022. Here we come. Please be nice to us. And who are we? Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Melissa Kaplan, Kasha Brasalian, Angel Carreras, and Ashley Brown. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Lauren Rabb. Our executive producers, Hasmin Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton. And our theme music is by Andrew Eppen. And me, I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back next year with all the news in this madre. Gracias. <laughs>